Welcome to the Jessica Kent Podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Kent, and in today's episode, we are going to be talking about the Gabby Petito case. Now, this is a case that the entire internet was talking about. As a mother, I just cannot fathom the unbelievable grief that the Petito family is going through right now. We're going to get into it, though. Today's episode is brought to you by Groups Recover Together. Groups is a both in-person and online treatment center. They strongly lean on harm reduction, which is so unbelievably freaking important. They are now in 13 states. They just welcomed Nevada to their program. They are 420 friendly and will help you with almost anything. If they can't help you at groups, they will try to find someone who can. And they are just an unbelievably amazing team of people. I hope you all are having an amazing day. May your coffee be as strong as you need it to be. I don't know if anyone else is like me, but I need my coffee somewhere like right below cocaine because I'm a mother of two and, you know, it's really hard to get through the day. All right, so let's just dive into this here. I'm going to start with a timeline of the disappearance and recovery of Gabby's body, and I'm going to be as thorough as I possibly can, just in case there's someone out there listening that doesn't know the details of this case. Gabby Petito, who is 22 years old, was reported missing by her family after her and her boyfriend or fiancé, Brian Laundrie, hella Chris Watts vibes, had embarked on a cross-country road trip together in June. Her family last knowingly heard from her at the end of August. In a news conference, the Petito family attorney, Richard Stafford, said the family's last communication with Gabby was August 30th, but they do not believe that message they received was from Gabby. The following day, the family attorney shared a timeline of the events as the family knew it. So on October 24th, Gabby FaceTimed with her mother and told her she was leaving Utah and heading to... Um, the Teton Range in Wyoming. I don't know if I said that correctly. On August 25th, there were multiple texts between Petito and her mother. Uh, the young woman's family believed she was in Tentons. I don't, know, I don't know if I'm saying that correctly on this date. And then August 27th, there were more texts between Gabby and her mother, during which her family believed she remained in Wyoming. On the 30th of August, her family received their last text from Gabby. They doubt that she wrote that text, according to the family attorney. That message read that she didn't have service where she was. September 1st is kind of where everyone knew that something was wrong. September 1st was where Brian, her fiance, returned to Florida without Gabby. Now, keep in mind, this was Gabby's van that he was driving. So Gabby's van that the couple had been traveling in was recovered by the police at Brian Laundrie's home. On September 11th, after Gabby's family could not get in touch with her, they reported her missing. So a couple weeks had passed here, and everyone is just so scared and so frantic that something has happened to Gabby. When police went to their home to speak with Brian, they were given information for his attorney. Okay, I'm going to pause there in this timeline. So immediately, Brian lawyers up. Immediately, he invokes his Fifth Amendment right and seeks counsel. As Of course, I recommend everyone do. You know, if you are guilty of a crime, you've done something wrong, um, invoke your Fifth Amendment right, do not incriminate yourself, and lawyer up, which is exactly what Brian did here. Now, having said that, I am not defending this human being, and I think he's a trash human, and he gives me hella Chris Watts vibes. Um, But this is the first sign in my mind that this person is guilty because a guilty person would immediately not even want to speak to the family members of your girlfriend. Like, this is your girlfriend's family. You have just driven her van back to Florida, and you're unwilling to talk to the family members of your girlfriend who you have not seen in, like, two weeks? Bro. Mm Mm-mm. Nope, you're guilty. 
But of course, uh, everyone is innocent until proven guilty. Okay, moving on. On September 16th through September 17th, Gabby's family literally begs Brian and his family to speak to police in the hopes of finding her. On the 17th of September, Brian's family called the police to their home to say that they have not seen their son and now Brian is missing. What a freaking turn of events. So now, not only is Gabby missing at this point on September 17th, but now Brian's freaking missing. So the police were informed as a YouTuber who was just going through footage that they had recorded came across Gabby's van and they were able to give that location to the police and they began searching. So very close to where this van was spotted by these YouTubers, they were able to find human remains that matched Gabby's description. Now, of course, the official autopsy has to be done. And that really just shows you the power of social media. So these YouTubers just happened to be editing their footage and they drove down this like really weird kind of out in the middle of nowhere trail where they just happened to see a van matching the description of Gabby's van. And there was like a hat that Gabby was wearing in the like dashboard of this van. And then there were flip flops that also kind of matched the flip flops that Gabby had seen. And I just want to pause here and say, like, that is how unbelievable technology is in 2021. Everyone's recording. There's cameras everywhere. And I, as I was seeing updates and as I was seeing all of this unfold on TikTok, which was so, like, gut-wrenching and heartbreaking, and we were all so invested in this. We all wanted Gabby found safely. But as I was watching this, I just thought, there's cameras everywhere. This dude is not going to get away with this. Social media is going to come together, and we're going to solve this case. And... And, you know, the internet really did. The internet came together and they found evidence and they, you know, gave that to police. There was even, you know, a, I saw another girl on TikTok who gave Brian Laundrie a ride and he was just, you know, just very suspicious and very odd. So I do want to back up a little bit before we get into um, like the current updates. Today is September 22nd, 2021 at 8.17 a.m. when I am recording this. Gabby and Brian were pulled over just a couple weeks before her disappearance because they received a 911 call saying there is this van and they're driving erratically. And in this 911 call, they specifically say the man is slapping the woman. The man that's driving this van is slapping this woman. So police pull Gabby and Brian over and Gabby is obviously very emotional. She's crying the whole time and the cops interviewed them separately and this is why I said earlier, he gives me hella Chris Watts vibes because literally he's so calm. He's so calm, but his body language is so loud. Um, so I was definitely watching his body language and he just really just gave me the same energy that Chris Watts did. But in Gabby's response here, this to me looks like narcissistic and reactive abuse. It looks to me like Brian has made her respond this way by reactive abuse. So reactive abuse essentially is where one person will do everything they possibly can to get someone to react to them and they just push that person to their breaking point and then when, you know, cops arrive on scene, the one that has abused the other person is very calm, very relaxed. They often say, "Oh, my girlfriend is crazy. Oh, she's struggling with mental health and I've tried to calm her down." And then they play the victim. And that's what I see in this 911 call. I see that Brian has severe. I see that Brian is calm and Gabby's emotional and Gabby is made to look like the crazy person. Now, I'm not blaming uh, law enforcement for this, but I do want law enforcement to be more trained when it comes to narcissistic and reactive abuse, because that's all I see here. You know, uh, 
They went on to say in this 911 call that Brian had locked her out of the van, telling her that she needs to calm down. And Gabby said that in her own words. You know, he locked me out of the van. He just, he wanted me to calm down. And this is just so clear to me that Brian has pushed her past her breaking point here. And I can just tell as someone that has dated a narcissist and married one, um, this is often just so difficult to unravel when you're going through it. Because when you are the victim of narcissistic abuse, you feel crazy, you know, like you feel like you've lost your mind, but you know, like, no, 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 they are twisting my reality. I know this, I know this, but in the midst of it, you feel like you've lost your mind. And when they go from like screaming at you and hitting you and locking you out of a place and like they, they do all of these things to you and then they're so calm in front of other people, like you really do start to feel like the crazy one when in all reality, you're not, you have been like literally pushed there. So I honestly believe that Brian is narcissistic and he pushed Gabby to her breaking point. And that's what we see in this very heartbreaking body cam footage of this traffic stop. Law enforcement separated them and they told them to stay apart and they put Brian in a hotel and Gabby could take the van. And she said something interesting that I don't think many people noticed. Um, And again, as a victim of narcissistic abuse myself, I recognize these things. She said, well, how far is it? Because I don't often drive the van. Like, I don't drive the van. She doesn't drive her own van. Now, to me, that was just another indicator that Brian is always in control of Gabby. You know, and in this 911 call and traffic stop, essentially all I hear is that Gabby has this little piece of work. And they were at a coffee shop and Gabby is working and Brian can't control that little bit of freedom that she has as a vlogger. And that was just so heartbreaking to me to see these little things. So as soon as Gabby said, I don't drive the van, I immediately just wanted to hug her because I know what that's like to not even have control over your own freaking vehicle. And the person that you're dating is literally controlling your every move. So my heart, my heart sank when I heard that this is her van, (laughs) you know? So, oh my gosh. So now the search for Gabby is over as uh, she was found in Wyoming. But now the FBI has to spend more time and resources to track down Brian, who has eluded authorities since returning to Florida without Gabby on September 1st. So for 22 days, now he has done everything possible to avoid law enforcement, including lawyering up the day he got back from Florida or something. So now they have to waste more time and resources on Brian, and they're searching for him um, in Florida at Florida Nature Reserve. So new tips keep coming out. I guess apparently someone in Florida happened to maybe possibly see Brian on a deer cam. And that's really tough because deer cams aren't that good. So it's very hard to see like, is this Brian? Is this maybe Brian? Um, Another thing that is super important to note here is that where he's possibly hiking is not good. It's not good terrain. It's very difficult for law enforcement to get there. This is filled with like swamps and shit. So that's just making it so hard for law enforcement. Um, And it was Miranda Baker who said that she picked up laundry hitchhiking in Coulter Bay, Wyoming. Um, So I said a minute ago that another person came forward and said, well, I, you know, gave Brian a ride here. Um, So it's just, it's, it is heartwarming that so many people are coming together. I I did make a mistake here. Autopsy did confirm the remains in Wyoming were Gabby. Um, So I did say a minute ago the autopsy wasn't done. That's incorrect. So Gabby's story has 
obviously became an obsession for everyone on the internet at this point. You know, we all watch this unfold, but this case has also upset so many people. And I just kind of feel like it's important to note here before we move on. Um, this story has further highlighted the tens of thousands of missing person stories that do not garner such intense interest. Uh, there were nearly 90,000 active missing people cases at the end of 2020, according to the National Crime Information. So this is just really frustrating to every other family member that um, has has a missing loved one out there or a missing child out there, you know, and I think every single missing person case should get this much national attention. I think we should all come together and, you know, imagine the resources that law enforcement can use if they ended the war on drugs and looked for missing people instead of addicts and people that are clearly struggling with an addiction that need help and not prison. Imagine all of the resources that we could have if we just ended the war on drugs, right? So I'm going to read you guys an article from Fox News. Um, I don't know if this is accurate, but this title absolutely terrifies me. It says, Gabby Petito's homicide will be challenging to tie it to perpetrators as forensic pathologist. Forensic pathologist Priya Banerjee recapped the findings of the autopsy performed on 22-year-old Gabby. Oh, sweet angel. I'm, I'm so heartbroken for her and her family. Um, her death was ruled a homicide. And yet the challenge was obviously for my colleagues to determine the cause of death performed by the autopsy. And my professional feeling is that they're not going to release the cause of death with an ongoing investigation. Uh, the autopsy revealed Petito died by homicide, but did not specifically say how she was killed. That's very preliminary in my opinion, but it's very important to release the manner of death, which, as you said, is homicide, because that tells us that she didn't die of a natural death. So this was due to someone's actions taking her life. Gabby Petito was discovered in Wyoming over the weekend, as we know, and the autopsy was performed Tuesday, confirmed the human remains were, in fact, Petito. This is a challenge trying the perpetrator to a crime, especially, I want to say, in the setting of decomposition. This was out in the wild. High temperature fluctuation, said uh, Banji, adding that it would not be surprising if Laundry's DNA were present since the two were in a relationship. So that will be a challenge, I think, to tie it all together. The forensic pathologist said it's important to consider all possibilities of how Gabby died to successively determine how she was killed. You have to rule out asphyxia or strangulation to the neck, make sure there's no blunt force trauma to the head and other parts of her body. So really a lot of potential ways that she could have been killed. Sometimes this can be a combination of things. So you really have to go and be casting a wide net and looking over those injuries. Brian Laundrie, who is the only person of interest in the case, is currently missing. Yeah, we know, bro. So obviously, I hope that they find Brian. I'm sure that they will. Um, I was seeing like conspiracy theories online that maybe Brian killed himself. But if my psychological report that I have created in my head that's not based on interviewing him myself, my imaginary psychological profile, if you will, as I am not a professional, I'm not a psychologist, I think he's a narcissist. And, you know, that's just speculation from the few things that I've seen. Narcissists don't tend to commit suicide. Um, but, you know, obviously anything can happen. I, I sincerely don't think that he killed himself. I just think that he's on the run and that he is um, working to invade law enforcement with his knowledge of kind of surviving in the wilderness. And, you know, he's had a lot of time to prepare. I also want to note here that they were high school sweethearts and they have been dating for a very long time. Gabby also lived with Brian's parents for like a year, and that doesn't surprise me. These parents seem like they are willing to do any and everything to protect their son. And if I am correct in thinking that Brian is a narcissist, I think that living with with Brian's parents for that time frame could really have damaged her mental health as well. 
oftentimes when we see relationships like this where the man is the abuser, um, I've, I've spoke to a lot of women that blame themselves. I also blamed myself for narcissistic abuse that I was dealing with. So in living with Brian's parents, I really wonder if every time Brian lashed out at her, I wonder if she internalized that as, oh, I upset him or I shouldn't do this and I'm sorry. You know what I'm saying? Because Gabby just seems like such a sweet little empath, which is something that I want to note here because oftentimes narcissists find empaths because they're maybe a little more easy to manipulate. I also want to throw in here that narcissists don't abuse every single person they come across. And I think that's confusing as well. So speaking from my own experience here, my ex-husband Steve is a narcissist and I never really talked about that. And I know firsthand that he does not abuse every single person that he comes across, you know? And I think that is what's so hard when dealing with narcissistic abuse is that to other people, friends and family members, they're like, oh, he's, you know, he's so kind or he's so smart or he's this person. And they say positive things about him because the experience that they had is very different than the experience of a girlfriend, say me with Steve or Gabby with Brian. Gabby's experience behind closed doors is going to be very different than Brian's appearance to the world. Brian's appearance on social media is very different than how he interacts with Gabby behind closed doors. I'm willing to bet that Brian's outwardly appearance to the world is very different than how he treats Gabby. I'm also willing to bet that not a lot of people saw Brian abuse Gabby or talk down to her or gaslight her. I'm willing to bet all of those things just from what I've seen. You know, um, just to transition here a little bit before we talk about narcissistic abuse and gaslighting, I've seen memes going around saying that we need to teach our daughters how to respond and how to recognize narcissistic abuse and gaslighting. And okay, yes, we should. We should all know and understand what a, this narcissistic abuse looks like and what gaslighting looks like. That's very important. But we also need to teach men not to abuse women. Am I right? Uh, women are not responsible for the way that men act, nor is it our job to fix them. Now, women can be narcissists and gaslight men too. Hashtag justice for Johnny Depp, right? So we've seen that play out on both sides, but I don't like seeing the these memes and these little Facebook things coming out saying that women need to... Um, act this way with abusive men. No, women need to not go near abusive men and leave them. It's not our job to fix them. And narcissism is not something that you can fix. It's not your fault. You are not crazy. They are manipulating you and they are gaslighting you. So something that, you know, um, narcissists tend to say is, I'm sorry that you feel that way. I'm sorry that you got your feelings hurt. That's a weird way to not take responsibility for anything at all, right? So those apologies suck. I don't remember that, but if that's what you said happened, sorry. No, that's not taking responsibility for what you said. And that is so abusive in relationships that are long-term. And again, Gabby and Brian were in a relationship for a really long time. And oh, this poor sweet soul. So during an act of like abusive violence, it's very common that an abused person is going to lash out to their abuser. They may scream or cry, use insults. Maybe they're physical with them. In turn, an assailant may retaliate against them by claiming that they're the victim of the abuse. So this is where like they're twisting the reality of that. And that's where this manipulation and narcissism and narcissism is played out. So that's reactive abuse. When the narcissist has done every single thing they can to get you to be violent towards them, then as soon as they have brought you to that point, they're like, you see, you're freaking crazy. Calm down. You're always doing this to me. 
look what you did to me. You're, you're losing your mind. This is what I'm talking about. And then they escalate more. So this reactive abuse is like informally called gaslighting. Reactive abuse is extremely dangerous. This is something that I genuinely believe was happening with the relationship between Gabby and Brian. So moving on from that, there have been plenty of people that have done interviews. The Laundry's neighbor, Gabby's friend, people on TikTok have, you know, interacted with them or what have you. There have been tons of videos from literally everyone except for Brian Laundry's parents. So there are a ton of conspiracy theories regarding Brian's parents. Some believe that Brian's parents helped him in the disappearance of Gabby. I don't know if I would go that far, but they're definitely protecting their son. And um, I'm going to read you guys this little statement from Brian Laundrie's neighbor. He kind of reacted to Gabby Petito's confirmed homicide. This was put out on Tuesday. The neighbor's name is Charlene. They live across the street from Brian Laundrie's Florida home. And they gave a brief little statement here. He said, I'm really upset because the laundry should have absolutely come forward. They told Fox News Digital, and this is a quote, I mean, I just can't believe they didn't do something. I'm really angry now that they let this go and that everything was so natural and they remained so normal through the whole thing, you know, while they were here till he went on the run. This neighbor goes on to say, he mowed the lawn. Him and his mother went for a bicycle ride around the block. I mean, everything was just normal life once he came back. And I just can't get over the fact that they seemed like nothing bothered him. How can you do that? The neighbor noted that this looks really, really bad for him, adding that his parents should have spoken up. I have children and I know that you do what you can to protect your child, but you know that can only go so far. You've got to do the right thing eventually. You just have to. Now that Petito's death has been ruled a homicide, the neighbors believe that Brian should be the only suspect. I think everyone on the internet hates these parents and everyone hates Brian for obviously lawyering up and staying silent. And from day one, everyone suspected that Brian was the person of interest in the disappearance of Gabby. And I think it's so easy to see this case and judge the parents and be hateful and hate them. And while they're not my favorite people, um, it's very difficult to know how you would respond if your son came home and his girlfriend was missing. Um, I know I would be a freaking nervous wreck. I would be crying and begging him to, you know, tell me what he did, especially if this girl lived with us for over a year and I got to know her and I loved her. I would be I would be a lunatic with my son if he hurt his girlfriend and his girlfriend was missing and he just showed up at Florida. Like, I know that I would be a freaking nervous wreck. Am I going to mow the lawn and take a bicycle ride? Absolutely fucking not. It is so easy to see a situation or a crime unfold on TV and judge every single person. You know, judge what the parents are doing wrong, what the suspect is doing wrong, um, and obviously feel bad and heartbroken for the victim, right? And when we're sitting on the sidelines watching things go on, it's so easy to say, I would respond this way or I would respond that way. While these parents are not my favorite people in the world, I don't know if they've committed any crime here because they have plausible deniability. You know, um, if they have alibis and they weren't in Wyoming and they didn't help Brian commit a crime, then they have plausible deniability. Any conversation that went on between Brian and his parents is private and they can say, Brian didn't tell us anything. You know, he came home and he acted like everything was normal. And, you know, he told us that he just came home without Gabby. You know, they can they can say whatever they want and they have attorneys protecting their, you know, their rights, their Fifth Amendment right to plead the fifth. And at this point in time, they're not being charged with any crime. And it seems as though they're 
It seems as though from the outside looking in that they're not cooperating with law enforcement, but technically they are, you know, by giving the statements through the lawyer, they are technically complying. You know, Um, the FBI did execute a search warrant of Brian Laundrie's home. And oh, my God, did they bring out so many boxes of things. And this is just kind of in my personal, not professional opinion, chick on the internet that doesn't really know how an investigation is run. (laughs) Um, This is like, we are going to take every single thing that could potentially be evidence. We're going to weed through everything, computers, clothes, whatever we can to try to find um, any little bit of evidence tying Brian to that. Even if it's a speck of Gabby's blood, that would be something, right? So that's what I think the FBI was doing. I think it's so interesting that these neighbors said they were acting like everything was completely fine. As a mother, as somebody that knows that I'm an emotional person, I know that I would not respond like everything was fine. If my son was dating a girl that lived with us for a year, obviously I love this person, right? She lived in my home for a year. I would be sick about it. As this story develops and as law enforcement looks for Brian, I hope he's found and I hope he is brought to justice and I will be following this case very closely as I'm sure everyone is. And I really hope that this is a sign to law enforcement that they need to be more aware of reactive abuse and narcissism and what that looks like in couples. You know, I, again, I do think that law enforcement did everything that they could and they didn't want to file charges. They separated the couple, they interviewed them separately and I'm sure law enforcement is just heartbroken that they didn't do more, but honestly, this is just such a dark reality when it comes to narcissistic abuse. And if you are currently in a dangerous relationship and you're dealing with a narcissist and you're being gaslit and abused, please leave. And I know that's so much easier said than done. Reach out for help. Let people know that you are struggling and do everything that you can to get away from that person. And again, I know that's so hard. The cycle of domestic abuse is so real and it's so just gut-wrenching and mentally and physically exhausting to have to deal with that kind of abuse. But you are so much stronger than you know. You are not at fault here. You are not to blame. And I would encourage you to please seek help any way that you possibly can. I'm going to end today's episode here. I will obviously keep you guys updated with this case as it unfolds. Hopefully we can watch the trial of Brian Laundrie and we can figure out exactly what happened to Gabby because she deserves justice. Her family deserves peace. And my heart goes out to the Petito family. This sweet angel touched the world. And I would strongly encourage law enforcement to pour the same amount of energy and community support and online social media presence to every single missing person. Every loved one of someone missing deserves that peace of mind and justice. They deserve their loved ones to be found. And we need to spend more time and resources finding missing people. Thank you guys so much for tuning in and I will talk at you in the next one.